Ms. Adams, if you're ready, I think we should we should begin because I have to go get my COVID shot and uh, and my flu shot. I got a flu shot today. I did not get the COVID shot yet. I need to. But yes, let's do the show. Yes. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm Kai Rizdal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this Monday, October the 23rd. All right, we'll do some news, uh, some smiles, uh, and and uh, what are you? You're talking farm bill. What are we doing on the farm bill? Nothing, which is exactly <laughs> the issue. <laughs> Sorry, that I was, mean, I did not plant that as a straight line. Oh man! So nothing is not technically accurate, uh, but the farm bill is one of the many things that is expiring as Congress is the cluster that it is, uh, and or the House, I should say, specifically the House Republicans, is, as we, we point out. But um, there is business of government that needs to be done. The Farm Bill is a massive piece of legislation up for renewal every five years. It's about to expire. This uh, controls things like SNAP benefits and crop insurance and food lunch programs and Many things related to climate change, things that like, you know, are the mm. bread and butter, literally, of how we get food in this country that matter a lot for our economy as well as for um, our stomachs. So and and health and, and poverty and, and great number yeah. of things. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Um, Politico has a ag newsletter uh, that had a scoop um, last week. And like for the special people who pay a lot of money, they got the scoop on yeah. Friday. But the rest of us <laughs> got it this week um, about uh, the Democrats on the ag committee in the House basically freaking out because they discovered that the Republicans on the ag committee were working on pulling some of the money from the Inflation Reduction Act that was supposed to be used for sort of conservation efforts related to agriculture, um, you know, and put it in other things and and move it around. It's super inside Hmm. baseball, which actually will matter down the road. And I'm sure we'll do some reporting on it as the, the legislation gets more beefed out. But the larger point is that there are still some people in the house. What is going on outside? It's like dogfight out there. Anyway, um, out out by you, not by here, right? My dogs are inside. No, by me. I'm like hearing dogs outside. Anyway, um, but this idea that they are negotiating mostly behind closed doors, the framework of this massive piece of legislation that is going to be overdue. And when it does come out, we're probably going to get yet another massive piece of legislation that very few people have time to look at. But it can't even really move because we're also distracted by everything else happening in the House. Mm -hmm. And this is a huge deal. And this was actually flagged to me by the people over at the um, Environmental Working Group. Um, which is a climate advocacy Mm -hmm. group. And one of the things that they also were pointing out is that one of the things under the Farm Bill that is being negotiated is crop insurance. And in 2022, crop insurance costs reached their highest ever. I'm going to read just a couple points from this. Crop Mm -hmm. insurance indemnities paid out a record $19.1 billion to farmers in 2022. Payments were largely concentrated in just 10 states and covered mostly four commodity crops. And um, it only – the crop insurance program only protects around 20 percent of farms. And um, Hmm. here's the – 
Here's the killer. EWG also discovered that during the past 22 years, insurance indemnities or payouts to farmers for reductions in yield or revenue rose significantly from $2.96 billion in 2001 when current subsidy levels were set to a record mm-hmm. $19.13 billion in 2022, an increase of well over 500%. Do we know why crops and yields are down? It's, I mean, climate change is the obvious Climate change. Factor, but- yeah. Climate change and also, um, I mean, the folks at, at EWG believe that mm-hmm. the current system incentivizes continuing to grow things that ha- right. have yeah. a high risk of loss, maybe take a lot of water or are very sensitive um, in places where the climate is no longer allowing right. it because there's no cap basically on the crop insurance program right. and you'll get your money back. And a lot of this is concentrated on with really big farmers um, who own a lot of land and end up, you know, being made whole by U.S. taxpayers. And, you know, we need farming in this country. And the reason the crop insurance program exists is because it's really hard to be competitive in agriculture on the global market, you know, given the United States. And so, like, this is a system that was designed for that, but it's getting extraordinarily expensive and not necessarily benefiting all farmers. And it's just another example of work that Congress could be doing to fix what may be a fixable problem, you know, re- maybe reevaluating this program in light of climate change. But instead, <laughs> but instead, we're, you know, casting our lots to see which of the nine Republicans can curry the favor of whoever today. Do you and I and I ask this question uh, not to put you on the spot because I'm gen, but because I'm genuinely genuinely curious and I haven't really kept up with it. Do, have you seen any recent polling on public opinions of Congress in the last seventeen uh, percent? Last I checked, and, and that was seventeen percent. Uh, hold on, I looked this up. Was, was it was it pre Kevin McCarthy getting the boot or post? I mean, it's got to have gone I, down, right? Let me look. Uh, two days it's, ago it, on 538, they've oh, right. got, okay. do Americans approve or disapprove of Congress? Disapprove, 65.9%. Approve, 19.4%. So I, this I'm was a Harvard University. High. Yeah, Harvard University Center for American Political Studies uh, has 30% approve and no way. 62% no way. disapprove. YouGov, The Economist, approved 16%, disapproved 67%. Uh, Yahoo News has an approved uh, that ran October 12th to the 16th, um, approved 12%, disapproved 65%. I mean, none right. of it's good. I think the one right. I looked at that saw 17% was Gallup uh, a, a little bit ago. But yeah, yeah here we go. Here, here's Gallup. When was the last time they looked? Congress and the public. Yeah, there's a 17% as of September, so the last so, time they so ran their pre, poll. Right, so pre-McCarthy. So I, I will bet you money they'll be in the uh, mid to high single digits. I mean, come on. I mean, I imagine their October one's going to come out soon. They, they yeah. look at this every yeah. month, so yeah. uh, we should have that answer relatively quickly. We should, we should. We will All right, what's your news? All right. So here's mine, also climate change based uh, and a, a little bit more discouraging than um, uh, crop yields due to climate change. Uh, we're all going to be underwater due to climate change. There's a report out uh, uh, today in Nature Climate Change, providing a revised estimate of what the coming decades hold 
in terms of climate change and more importantly, melting of the Antarctic ice sheet. And here's what it says. Even if we cut our emissions as we are supposed to do, the West Antarctic ice sheet is going to start melting even faster. It could lead to the most significant sea level rise over the course of two cent of the course of centuries, rather. The West Antarctic ice sheet, which is the ice sheet in question, holds 767,000 cubic miles of ice on land. So a cubic mile is, of course, a mile by a mile high by a mile deep. 767,000. square miles. Yes. And it is melting uh, even, even if we do everything we're supposed to do. And I just, that one got me today and it just added to the general... Uh, miasma of just horrible, terrible news that there has been lately. I just, yeesh. Anyway, so, you know, that's it. So I just wanted to throw that out there. It's in Bloomberg if you want to read it. We'll have it on the show page, of course. Um, but, um, you know, it's one of those stories you would have missed because of all the other news, which is happening. Yeah. There, which is a lot. What a hopeful start to lot. our week. <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry about that. Juan Carlos hit us Hey, it's, it's real life. It's real life. It, it is. That's totally right. That's totally right. And look, we make no bones about it on this podcast, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we tell you what the news is and what we think about it because it's real life. And while you could take a yeah. break from it every now and then, and I highly recommend it, and I did it last week, and it was glorious to not be on the news all the time, the mm-hmm. news is life, and you got to be up to speed. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. What do you got? Yeah. Oh, wait. Um, sorry. No, one... hold on. Hold on. I'm just reading the URL of this piece in the in the in the rundown and it says jump scare horror movies. And no, that's all. That's all. Just See, no. I chose this story because you and I are of the same <laughs> spirit on this of that's true, actively that's true. disliking <sighs> horror movies uh, and jump scares because why? Because why? There's enough scary stuff scary. in the actual world. Because they're scary. Right? So this is actually uh, from the Washington Post Department of Data, which I love, and it's an analysis. The headline is actually, What's Killing the Jump Scare? And since 2014, the number of jump scares cranked out by Hollywood has fallen precipitously, I'm reading here, according to Where's the Jump, a remarkable catalog of over a thousand movies that documents the timestamps of slamming doors, sudden attacks, and other startling moments that can make viewers jump. And so jump scares are in decline, which is good for the both of us. And there's a lovely chart documenting the decline of jump jump scares. Apparently it hit a peak in like 1981. Um, But movies have had fewer jump scares since 2014. Uh, In 2003, Freddy vs. Jason captured 24 jump scares. (laughs) Um, But it's been on the decline since then. (laughs) And there are amazing charts Hmm. and wonderful, uh, wonderful things this, this this made me happy um i don't particularly love the imagery of some of it because they they really lean into the slasher um <laughs> there's uh, a graph on here that's clearly designed to look like slashes <laughs> from like a knife uh, um they had fun with this one but more so i'm happy because there are fewer jump scares because i don't need that kind of stress in my life no totally 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 yes. all right so mine on the face of it might not seem happy, but it really is. And I'm just going to call you out here on the pod, Bridget Bonner. So she slacked me before we turned the microphones on. And she said, so you've got melting ice sheets and dead dogs for today. Happy Monday to you too. So it's not really about dead dogs. It's about the oldest dog in the world. He was 31. He died. It's about 217 in dog years. But here's the deal. This dog was around for 31 years. 
His his owner, when he died, the owner was eight years old when this dog was born. I just think it's a cool wow. little story about dog love and pets and all this stuff. It's a dog in Portugal. It's a guard dog called Bobby. I don't know how much guarding he was doing in his later years. But it was a, um, hang on a minute. The uh, most. He was doing is. the most. He was a great he, he was guard doing, dog. Right. Exactly. He was that's doing a, a that's great exactly job. Right. That's, he was doing that's, a great that's job. exactly right. He was a Raffaero do Antalejo, a breed of Portuguese dog that has an average life expectancy of some 10 to 14 years. And this guy doubled it and then some. And I just think it's great because dogs, come on. I've got a 13-year-old dog now who, I mean, she's going well, but at some point it's going to be very sad. And I just wanted, you know, a little dog love. That's all. That's all. That's sweet. That's sweet. That's all. Look, I okay. I got Jasper when he was 10 and he's 14 now and I I did quite a bit of research on the, you know, average lifespan of Savannah's and you know, supposedly I can get a good, you know, 6-7 years out of him still. Excellent. You know, there you go. keep his asthma in check. <laughs> there you go. Good. There you go. Yeah. Got to love our Pets. animals. There you yes. go. All right. All right, that is it for us today. Tomorrow, instead of our usual deep dive, we're going to bring you a special episode of Marketplace's Morning Report with our wonderful friend David Brancaccio and the Morning Report crew. And it's about the video game industry and what that industry can teach us about the economy. So look out for that in your feeds. It's super interesting. We will be back on Wednesday. Till then, keep the questions and comments coming. We are, as you know, at makemesmartatmarketplace.org. 508-UB-SMART is how you can get us on the phone. Actually, I think it's probably just an answering machine. I don't think it's actual as human being, but you know what I mean. Unless, like, Bridget I mean, with AI, something. are we going to be able Bridget's to tell? Bridget's going to answer the phone one day. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Make Me Smart is produced today. Today is clearly guy pounds on Bridget all day because she said a mean thing to him. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Berg. Secret today's program was engineered by Juan Carlos Torado. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Our intern is Neil Farshabandi. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts and a very nice person. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. (laughs) We We love Bridget. Bridget. Just give her a hard time every so often. That's right. Daily. She's probably not even listening anymore. Oh, oh, I'm on, I'm on the Zoom. <laughs> oh my God. We got to figure out a way to get that sound in there. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.